Hey there, and welcome to the Box Office Watch podcast, where we keep watch on how much money movies are making and why. This is the show recapping the weekend of October 23rd through October 25th, 2020. My name is Paulo, and I'm your host. Hope everyone's doing well out there. Bit of a busy week for me work-wise, so I'll try to keep the episode a little bit short. Uh, That said, the box office industry uh, is keeping me busy with lots of news items coming out, so let's dive right in. Uh, The first news, of course, is the fact that after six months of being the punchline of every streaming platform joke, including my own, Jeffrey Katzenberger's sword video experiment company, uh, Quibi, is officially shutting down on December 1st, um, affecting about 250 employees total. Uh, We've talked on the show about what Quibi's business model was, how they failed to get any meaningful subscriber numbers against the $2 billion investment, of which about $350 million remains in the bank, um, and how they failed last week to find any potential buyers um, to kind of bail them out of the situation. I don't really have much more to add on to what's already been said, but I think with this, we can finally put uh, the Quibi saga, uh, all six months of it, to a close. Um, But it is a bit of an odd feeling to literally see the rise and fall of a streaming platform in real time. Uh, It feels a lot longer, but I guess that might just be 2020. Uh, Hopefully, all the employees out there land on their feet, and we'll see what Katzenberg's next move after this is, um, as well as if there are any other of the series that were created and licensed by Quibi find their way to other services. Uh, I'm sure we'll see some business school cases on this in the future, um, especially comparing why this succeeded as opposed to other short-form content sites such as TikTok. Uh, We also have a new set of film date announcements uh, for the ever-changing release date schedule. Uh, First up, Universal and MGM's uh, Jordan Peele-ridden and Nia DaCosta-directed remake of the 1992 slasher film Candyman is now coming out on August 27th, 2021. Originally, it was set to come out this year on June 12th before being pushed back to September 25th and then October 16th before finally becoming undated uh, before this recent announcement. Um, Another one being moved around is Sony's Ghostbuster Afterlife, which is the sequel to the 1989 Ghostbusters 2 film, ignoring the recent Paul Feig-directed remake. Um, It's going to be coming out on June 11th, uh, 37 years to the date after the original film. Um, It had been set to open on July 10th of this year before being pushed back to March 5 of 2021, um, and now this eventual uh, June date, pretty much one year from the original release date. Uh, Sony is also releasing the sequel to the 2016 horror film Don't Breathe um, on August 13th next year. Uh, The original made about $157 million on a $10 million budget, uh, so that seems like a pretty good investment on their part. And finally, not a firm date yet, uh, but AT&T's head, John Stanky, which AT&T owns WarnerMedia, said that they they are considering plans A, B, C, and D when it comes to Wonder Woman's 1984 release. Um, They still are planning on doing a theatrical, apparently, but I'm taking that to mean that we shouldn't be surprised to hear in the coming weeks and months that... uh, Wonder Woman 1984 is moving off the Christmas release date. I'm not sure where they would put it. Maybe they'll move it a couple months to February or March before I'm sure kicking it down the road again to sometime in June. Um, but, you know, that that is what it is. Uh, so, yeah. 
Uh, speaking of films coming out next year, um, the next James Bond film, as we noted, No Time to Die, is still scheduled to come out on April 2nd, 2021. Um, however, over the last week or so, there were some rumors that Apple or Netflix maybe had made an offer to MGM, the you know distribute local the, the uh, domestic distributors of uh, James Bond, for 600 million US dollars uh, in order to get the debut streaming rights to the films, um, which might even just be the US. Only uh, release, um, which would be an insane number. However, it turns out that it appears that that is the minimum number that MGM was looking for rather than was being offered to them by Apple TV or Netflix. Uh, part of that $600 million price tag likely comes from the fact that MGM and Universal would not only be looking to recoup the $250 million production budget, but also any advertising already spent on the film, as well as whatever profit margin that they were planning on making um, of course, James Bond is a huge franchise that definitely would demand a higher price tag than the $125 million that Amazon paid to Paramount for Eddie Murphy's Coming to America sequel or Apple's bankrolling of Martin Scorsese's next film to the tune of about $250 million US dollars. But it doesn't look like there were any takers for this offer. Apparently, um, you know, these were exploratory talks kind of around the time that... Um, that you know they had moved from uh, the November date to the April date, uh, but you know I think and and so you know I th- I think you know Bond is going to be very reluctant to come out on streaming at all. Hence the exorbitantly high price tag that they were saying was the minimum that they were looking to get uh, for this. I think part of the reason uh, is that streaming services, you know, I think they're likely to see a l- better return on investment on 600 million US dollars if they were to spend it on their own owned and operated properties and, and original content as opposed to licensing a single film, um, even though it, that would be you know, one of the biggest, you know, most popular films of the year. Anyways, uh, some smaller headlines before hopping into the domestic top five. Uh, Jeremy Kramer, former executive at 20th Century Fox, is now the president of Paramount Players, a label within Paramount that focuses on quote-unquote contemporary films. Uh, so far, their biggest hits has been the Door the Explorer uh, film, as well as What Men Want and Playing with Fire. So not exactly the biggest films out there. Uh, Kramer has worked on, at 20th Century Fox, the Kingsman series, as well as Deadpool. Um, so that's a pretty good get for Paramount. Uh, he's joined by Ashley Brooks, former EVP of production at Paramount Pictures, who had developed A Quiet Place and Paranormal Activity. She's moving to senior EVP position of production at Paramount Players. Uh, I think I'm more interested in this less than you know the fact that Paramount you know players is going to have some you know good talent about them, which I'm sure this is a great move for them. But um, more to see what is actually going to be happening with 20th Century Fox now. It seems like a lot of talent is just leaving uh, 20th Century Fox. I don't know what Disney's planning on doing with that label um, in the future beyond you know whatever currently exists. I don't know if they're going to develop any new properties for that label. Anyway, uh, moving to movie theater openings. Uh, after New York State reopened theaters, uh, Regal Cinemas has announced that they are going to be opening a few of their theaters after closing operations, you know, for the most part across the country. Um, going to be opening a couple theaters in the state. Uh, still no news on when New York City is going to be reopening with and with growing COVID cases, you know, nationwide hitting a, you know, an all-time record. Um, I'm not holding my breath. Uh, I will be seeing the green light anytime soon. Uh, Cinemark is also planning on opening some of his theaters, uh, this time in the Bay Area, which, you know, there's the, there's the regulation that they're not allowed to sell concessions. Apparently, Cinemark is still going to be uh, going for it, even without concessions, which seems like a pretty risky move on their part. We'll see if that pays off for them. 
Uh, meanwhile, in Europe, uh, France is expanding its nightly curfew, uh, which will limit the number of evening screenings, which make up about half the total box office revenue over there. And Italy, and I believe Spain also, are now going to be reinstituting curfews, and Italy specifically is reclosing cinemas for at least a month, uh, with cases surging there again, as we're well into the second wave in Europe now. And then finally, pour one out for Studio Movie Grill. They are the 11th largest movie theater chain in North America with 34 uh, locations across 10 states, mostly focused in the Texas uh, region. Uh, they have filed for a Chapter 11 bankruptcy. Uh, Studio Movie Grill uh, this is the second major circuit after CMX, uh, the U.S. subsidiary of Mexico's Cinemax, uh, to file for bankruptcy uh, in response to the co- uh, coronavirus. Uh, Cinemax uh, or C- CMX uh, filed back in April. Um, surprised there haven't been more that, that haven't you know set out sit down sooner. Um, in any case, Studio Movie Grill employs around seven thousand employees. So I'm hoping and praying that they're all able to land on their feet and that the Chapter Eleven filings go smoothly so that they're able to get back into business. In any case, let's take a look at our domestic top five and close the show out uh, with that, as well as some you know international news. In first place at the domestic box office, we have Liam Neeson's Honest Thief in its second week, grossing 2.4 million U.S. dollars in 2,425 theaters, per theater average of $971, representing a 35% drop week over week. In second place, the war with Grandpa rages on into its third weekend, uh, making 1.9 million in 2,345 theaters, uh, dropping only 24% week over week. Per theater average is $816. uh, we have a new contender who comes in at third place, uh, 20th Century's The Empty Man, uh, the one that was that was dropped in theaters with only the trailer coming a week before. Um, it made uh, $1.3 million in 2027 theaters per theater average of $646. In fourth place, we have Tenet chugging right along, uh, grossing 1.3 million. Also, um, just shy of the uh, Empty Man's numbers, um, in 1,801 theaters per theater average is 722 per theater average, dropping only 19% week over week. Uh, notably, with New York State open again, the tri-state area made up now the third most revenue for Tenet domestically. Um, so leaping into there, showing kind of the importance of that market. Internationally, Tenet sits at 341.4 million dollars. Uh, with Brazil opening up this coming weekend uh, for that chug to, I'm guessing somewhere in the 350-360 range. And finally, in fifth place, we have the re-release of Disney's Nightmare Before Christmas in its second week, uh, scaring up gro- uh, $577,000 in 1,714 theaters, dropping 56% for a per theater average of $357. Um, some other Disney re-releases coming out uh, was Hocus Pocus in its fourth weekend, making 530 k 1640 theaters, dropping 30% per theater average of $323. And then there's another new re-release from Disney, uh, Pixar's Monsters, Inc., the original, making $494,000 in 1975 theaters per theater average of $263. So it seems that the Pixar films aren't doing as well in this re-release format. Um, another re-release, not Disney, uh, is The Addams Family, which actually came out last year. Uh, it was a surprising hit, surprise hit uh, financially uh, from United Artists Releasing. It made $282,000 in 1,307 theaters per theater average of $216. 
total total box office for this week, and again, there hasn't been much news that to really comment on beyond just straight up the numbers, is $10.8 million total. Down a bit from the $12.4 million we saw last week. Um, I think that's likely due to Empty Man not being, you know, a film that people want to go see premiering only at third um, in theaters. I also have to imagine that the new Borat film coming out this past Friday on Amazon, as well as Robert Zemeckis' retelling of Roald Dahl's The Witches on HBO Max, as well as uh, the Asian American voiced uh, premiere of Over the Moon coming to Netflix, uh, number one movie for the weekend, uh, say that some movie going desire this past weekend, so people didn't go out to the theaters. Uh, this last this week last year, uh, the box office made 105 million dollars. Um, top films were pretty much the same films that have been coming out for the past couple of weeks. Uh, Male- Maleficent, Mistress of Evil, in its second week, made 19.4 million as the top film of the week. Now, looking to Asia, in China, uh, we have a new top film in The Sacrifice. It focuses on China's involvement in the Korean War, um, typical patriotic wartime film that does well in China. It made $53 million over three days. Uh, Notably, it has some great production staff behind it. Uh, Co-directors include the director of The 800, which is, as you should know, the top-grossing film of the year worldwide for 2020, um, as well as the director of The Wandering Earth, uh, the third-highest-grossing film in China. Chinese history. Um, it also stars the leads of the super popular Wolf Warrior franchise, uh, which broke many of its bo- Chinese box office when it first came out. Uh, with a 9.4 score, score on Maoyan, uh, the expected take for this film looks to be 226 million US dollars, putting it behind 800's 463 million to date, um, or My People, My Homelands, uh, which is up to 388 million so far. Um, however, 226 million would be good enough to take break into the top eight film, uh, uh, top eight of 2020 uh, to date. Um, so that's pretty impressive in and of itself. Um, all the other top five in China are films we've talked about in previous weeks, um, making much less than 53 million. Uh, My People, My Homeland, for example, made $11 million this week um, and ranging down to the fifth place film, the volleyball film Leap, making $2.2 million this week. And finally, following up last week's surprise of Demon Slayer, uh, breaking all records in, in Japan, um, as noted, it made 44 million US dollars, uh, the highest grossing for an opening film in Japan. Um, now, I had hypothesized that its performance could be potentially a little bit front loaded given just how massively successful it was in its opening weekend, you know, as we tend to see here with films in the States. Um, Japan is known to be a fairly leggy country, so, you know, Typical films generally are maybe in the uh, 9 to 10 X range. Um, so if this was, you know, a 4 X range as conservatively, that would be pretty front-loaded. Well, the numbers for this weekend are in, and it doesn't look to be the case as front-loaded. Uh, for context, Frozen 2 last year uh, dropped about 28% week over week from week 1 to week 2, about 13.2 million US dollars to 9.5 million. Um, it would go on to have a 9.25X multiplier over its run. Uh, for a more local production, last year's Weathering With You dropped only about 15% from Weekend 1 to Weekend 2 and also has a multiplier of between 8 and 9x. So an 8x multiplier on Demon Slayer would put it at $352 million US dollars in Japan, about 36.8 billion yen. That would be more than the current top-grossing film of all time, uh, Spirit of the Way, which is at 30.8 billion yen. Uh, in fact, Demon Slayer only needs a 6.7x multiplier to get there, which, again, seems to be below what typical Japanese films do in terms of box office legs. Well, 
given the drops of weathering with you uh, to get to an 8.5x multiplier, Demon Slayer is well on its way. It grossed about 37 million over the same over a three-day period, um, about a 16% drop, pretty much matching what weathering with use was, uh, which is insane that in its second weekend alone, that would be enough to take the like that second weekend alone would be enough to take the top grossing weekend of all time, if not for the first weekend. Um, Demon Slayer has crossed the 100 million US dollars, about 10 billion yen mark already, only the third non-Ghibli anime film to do so behind both of Makoto Shinkai's films. Um, it's already the 32nd highest grossing film in Japan and only has up to go from here. Um, still have yet to see where it opens up in international markets, especially in China, uh, to see if it'll be able to end up breaking into the top echelons of the worldwide anime box office list. Only time will tell. And with that, that is the end of this episode of the Box Office Watch podcast. Uh, suit me details for what I should cover next week uh, via email at b- boxofficewatchpodcast at gmail.com or on Twitter at BOWatchPodcast. Find us on Spotify, iTunes, or Google Play. Uh, if you can leave a review there on any podcast service of your choice or podsafe.com, that would be super helpful. Links to those in the show notes. Uh, numbers in this show usually come from thenumbers.com. Our intro and outro music come from Kevin MacLeod. You can find his stuff at incompetech.filmmusic.io. Editing and production is provided by Ninja Boy Media. Until next time, this has been the Box Office Watch Podcast. And remember, our watch goes on. And also a reminder, if you live in the U.S., please go vote early if you're able to. Yeah.